you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of life. To starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is The Andy Stort Show. Let's go. Welcome back to The Andy Stort Show. This is the show, of course, where we can come together to starve our fears, to follow our dreams, and to fulfill our true potential. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am joining you on this journey. And I'm so excited that you're here. I have a great interview for you today with my friend, Roger Whitney. And Roger is a co-founder of WWK Wealth Advisors and host of the award-winning podcast, The Retirement Answer Man. He has been a financial planner for over 27 years, and each day he walks life with individuals and families, helping them plan for, transition into, and live out their retirement. His recent book is called Rock Retirement, a simple guide to help you take control and be more optimistic about the future. And I've had the pleasure of reading that book and sharing it with some friends, and I'm excited to have him on. So Roger, welcome to the podcast. Hey, buddy. How are you doing? Fantastic, man. It is, uh, it is great to have you here. Yeah, all that official introduction stuff always sounds like that's me. Oh wow, yeah. who's that guy? He sounds cool. Well, it's just me. <laughs> I know it's so weird when people read your intros or read your bio, which I go back and forth on. But uh, yeah, it's cool to hear that sometimes. You're like, yeah, I've I've actually done some things. I wrote a book. I host a podcast. That's right. Well, you end up being like a shark. You're just moving forward so much. You actually, I tend to not think about what I've done. Right. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about what you've done because you've been doing this for 27 years. But there's a lot of uh, financial planners out there that have been doing things for a long time. But you s- clearly stand out, not just because we're friends and we know each other through mutual friends and things like that, but you have a book, you have a podcast, you have a big following. You've done a lot of things to build a personal brand, which is something that I'm constantly interested in as well. So I'd love to hear more about your background and how you got into all that. Yeah. I mean, all of that stuff really is the last five years. Right. So, you know, I, I'm a classically trained financial planner, is how I call it. And this has been my life. And I've been in just a, a series of missteps, stumbles, face plants, and endos that ultimately helped me figure out how to ride this bike and, and, and gain some speed. <laughs> That's how I look at it. Well, now I'm really curious. Like, I, I want to get into some of those some of those missteps because those are the things that we we learn them, right? Oh, I mean, I'm not embarrassed by it anymore. But I had to go through a whole grieving process to forgive myself because just the regret and the mental self flagellation that I put myself through for things that I have done financially in a lot of ways, which is ironic because I'm a financial guy. Yeah, give me an example. So I, I always categorize my life with this way. In my 20s, I became a financial advisor very early on. It wasn't like I went to school for it. But it was, you know, you don't know what you want to do when you're 23. Oh, sure. I'll try that. Definitely. And I traded stocks because it was the 90s. The mentors around me traded technology stocks. So that's what I did with the core of clients. I made a lot of money. They did okay. I thought I was all that. And I created a lifestyle thinking, wow, my income could never go down. For right. It's only going to keep going up. It just goes up. And so I lived forward thinking how awesome I was. And then I wasn't. Right? And then when I started to get my sea legs in the late 90s, of man, this sucks. I'm making a lot of money. 
I'm not enjoying it. I don't feel like I'm helping anybody. And then I started to mature and go through getting my certified financial planner certificate and rethinking my business and my life. And then through that transition, plus the tech downturn, my income went down by about 80%. The funny thing is though, is that that BMW payment and the house payment, they don't adjust along with... They don't adjust to your income, right? They keep going. (laughs) They're sort of flat. They almost increase. If you don't pay them, then the interest mounts up, right? Yeah. I mean, percentage-wise, they do increase uh, compared to your, uh, your income. And so I made a lot of money in my 90s, blew it all, and set myself up for a lot, of, a lot of pain as I was going through transitions. And rather than stay stuck where I was, I just sort of scuttled the ship, sucked it up, and went through it rather than... Uh, plan ahead. So I spent my call my 30s is when I cleaned up my mess. And it took at least a decade to do that. And interestingly, that mess, obviously, we're talking about the financial stuff. Yep. But the other part of that mess was I I was married when I was 23. We're about to have our 29th anniversary. Congratulations. I was also married when I was 23. We just celebrated 15 years. By the grace of God, because as all this was going on, you turtle and you know, we were, got married young and you're not fully formed individually. So I didn't share a lot of this. I just internalized it yeah. and then treated her like crap and ended up being so stressed out and I don't know, I didn't have a heart attack. And then that almost destroyed the marriage as a result too, right? Yep. So it's not just the money part, it's all the other stuff too. Right. And the communication and the embarrassment, and then you don't communicate even more, right? Right. I know what you're talking exactly what you're talking about. And it's really into my 40s when things started to align themselves in some <laughs> positive, you know, at least moving forward rather than cleaning up. And then I had to go through internally forgiving myself for a lot of things. Mm. Because you're growing as a man and then you look at that man, but you think you're still that man or you're worried about that man coming back up. Yep. You can really go into some dark places of beating yourself up even when things are going well. Totally. I can relate to that too. And I think a lot of people can because unless you're not human, everybody's made mistakes, right? You know, Some bigger than others in different life areas. I've made plenty. And I've spent time in the past regretting those. And I find that that never got me anywhere. And we can define our lives by and say we are someone that is actually an older version of ourselves, right? So like I pick a word every year that is sort of my guiding light and I've done it for five years. But the word this year is embrace. So what that word means to me is because I've been... I've gained a lot of traction and I've had some success with the podcast and how I've designed my business and just some things... I'm. Things have come to fruition after a lot of hard work. And what I found was, as everything has gone really well, it's just amped up my stress. I mean, I enjoy it for sure. But in my mind, I was thinking that version of Roger is going to rear his head and blow this all to hell. So as a result, I was more, I'm still dealing with it, more stress than more good that happens. So I'm trying to embrace that, no, this is not some fluke and it's not as temporary as you're thinking it is. And you are not that version of Roger. I mean, this sounds all, 
I don't know what it sounds like, but no, you know what it sounds like. <laughs> I mean, this this could be wrong because there's definitely an element of fear here, which we all deal with. But is it almost an element of imposter syndrome where you don't feel like totally you deserve because you are this well-respected, you know, authority in the space of retirement planning? Now you've got this book. Like I said, the podcast is a big deal. Um, you've got a big following in the community and a lot of friends in high places. And it's easy to to look at yourself and be like, do I deserve to be here? Should I be this person? Well, then you don't want to make mistakes and you don't want to disappoint. Right. And that's pressure. Yeah, you're a role model now too. I don't know about that, but... Uh, <laughs> well, at least you're, you do have kids too, right? I do. Okay. So you're probably at least a role model for them, but you have people who look to you for advice by nature of your, of your profession. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, but we all deal with this exactly as you yeah. said, Andy, we all deal with this stuff and hundred percent. I'm just, I'm pretty transparent and try not to take myself too seriously. Cause I think a lot of times when you see people that may come off as egotistical or self-centered, a lot of that I think is some people are just that way, but a lot of people, it's a self-defense mechanism to sort of, I am strong and I can do this. And they just overcorrect the other direction. Totally. I think the vulnerability and being willing to talk about the mistakes and failings you had in the past is what makes people so relatable and makes me, you know, if I'm going to hire a financial advisor, I'm more attracted to someone who says like, here's the things I've screwed up and I've learned from, you know, I know a lot more about how you can be successful because I've tried everything. I've done those things versus someone that just says, well, this is by the book and I've always lived by the book and this is how you got to do it. I've read your book, so I know you're a little bit against the buy the book. We can get into that, but I think it's a big difference. Yeah, and in finance, it's a big issue in the financial advice community. You know, the big issues I see in the financial advice community is one, it's all focused on investing and that that's the solution. And two, advisors focus on the math more than the humanity, which leads us to really a lot could lead us to a lot of really bad decisions. And so I read a good quote today in this book. You've probably read this. When when my Mac was updating today, I was reading Steal Like an Artist, which is a great book if you're creative in any way to just sort of peruse. And there was a quote, I'm going to butcher it, but it basically said, don't complain about other people's art. Just go make your own the way it should be. And that's sort of what I'm trying to do. I used to teach retirement planning for the CFP curriculum and there's a lot of great stuff in there. But I think I'm just trying to create the way I think it should be done based on you know, my experience in walking life with people and not ignoring... Rather than just complaining about telling somebody else to fix something, I'm just going to create the way I think it should be. Yeah, I like that. And people are going to go to you for your personal advice. Well, let's get into that a little bit. You wrote a book about this. Everybody needs to be... No matter what their life stage or their plans, needs to be thinking a little bit about retirement and planning for the future. Right. So, what is that point of view? And we'll say that most of my listeners are probably 30s, 40s professionals, some entrepreneurs, some working, but you know, need to be thinking more about the future. It could be a wider range. But what's your point of view on rocking retirement? Well, I think regardless of the range, less about rocking retirement or what I don't even know what retirement means. Right. If you changing, well, yeah, tell me retirement. What were the first things that pop in your head? Retirement. Well, the classic view, and that's still what pops into my head, is uh, I don't know, like gray hair sitting by the pool and uh, reading a book and not working, 
um, really kind of doing nothing. I don't know. <laughs> We're traveling, you know, whatever, having fun, but not working, right? Yeah, that's the view of retirement. Yeah. And I work with and talk with people in their 50s mainly and, and some in their 60s and some in their 40s. But what I try to do is help them redefine really what the whole project is about. Because the project seems to be about getting to retirement. And in my mind, the project is more about, I'll use Tim Ferriss's phrase, lifestyle design, right? It's how do I organize my life in such a way to make the most of it? So when we think about family financial planning, we wrap it around this idea of retirement. But you know, there's this constant tension that exists in everybody's life when it comes to money. And it's like a teeter-totter. You're probably too young. They probably outlawed those by the time you were in school. But a teeter-totter... Oh, they've still got about the playground. I was just on really? the other day. Yeah. Wow. They got to get rid of those. They're dangerous. My son loves it. <laughs> but so if you've ever been on a teeter-totter or a seesaw, if you stand in the middle of it and sort of balance the two ends so they're not touching the ground, imagine that. And then on one end is, hey, I want to have an awesome life today. I have demands financially for my family and I want to have as much fun as I can today. But on the other end of the teeter-totter is, hey, I know I'm going to be 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, and I want to be a good steward so I'm not poor and broke later on. And you're standing on the middle of that teeter-totter and trying to balance those two competing interests because there's a natural tension always with what do I do with every dollar. And you know, there's the YOLO group of just live for today. There's the fire group that says, kill today for a sooner tomorrow. Fire being financial independence, retire early, early, right? Thank you. Which there's a lot of great aspects about that. And then there are people that are so fearful that they miss the entire life because... Very conservative, always saving for the future that may never come. And financial advice ends up pushing people to sacrifice. Because if you look at retirement as it's classically designed, you know, let's say you retire at 60, you know, that worked for our grandparents who died at 68 or 70. And because they didn't live as long as you're going to live, they weren't near as active in their 60s as you're going to be. Let's hope. They lived simpler lives and they had typically pensions and they lived more local lives. So the math worked for them, but it doesn't work for us. And they didn't, they didn't have nearly as many work options available to them after in, well into the 60s, right? I mean, we're yes. doing jobs now that on the computer that we could be doing well into our late age. Right. The optionality of work, and it's, it's like a, a dimmer switch rather than a light switch. It doesn't have to be on or off. Right. So what I, what I tell, it doesn't matter what age you are, is be a good steward for later on, but it's less about trying to get to some number that supposedly you'll be okay because that number will make you sacrifice so much is how do you design a life where you can have a balance? Because when I survey, let's just talk about baby boomers for a second. You know, the people ahead of you that maybe we can all learn something from. Right. Everyone that I deal with, when they are quote unquote retired, end up working. And it's not so much because of the money, it's because they need a purpose and they enjoy it and they have skill. Yeah, they get bored, right? Yeah. And when I ask them, what do you want in retirement? It's some of the, you know, the brochure things, but really they don't use the word retirement. They use the word time freedom. They want to have more free time to pursue things that they enjoy. Right. 
that is not the absence of work. It's just having work at a slower pace so they have more time to go ride their bike or to go travel and things like that. So that is how I tell people to approach it. And that's how I've tried to approach my life, where there's a less of a, a fine line between work or not working. Yeah, I've definitely changed my perspective and all that. I agree with you 100%. I mean, I grew up, I'm very lucky that my father is very, my, both of my parents are very financially responsible and taught me a lot about money. And my dad, who was a teacher for 30 years, um, was very good about saving his money so that he was able to retire by 60 and, and do whatever he wants. Um, and so I had that mindset and was putting money, money away early for the classic retirement. But my perspective changed. And I think it actually was for the first time when I read Tim Ferriss, you mentioned the 4-Hour Workweek. He talks about a lot of people will probably never retire. Because if you find something you really enjoy, you won't ever want to stop working. You just may want to design your lifestyle to operate in different ways and, and take time off at different times. Yeah. And the man that wrote the four hour work week, you know, he's working crazy hours, but he's probably enjoying every minute of it because it's on his terms. Right. Recently, I, did, you know, I was having this conversation with someone older and they said, I would retire today if I could. And they were adamant. And then we walked through some, you know, general discussion. And it came out, wow, with a few tweaks, you probably could. And they wouldn't acknowledge it. There was an incongruence between what they said and what was real. And I've, I've been noodling on that for a while and seeing a little bit of it in other conversations. And I think you're less so, and no doubt everybody that's listening is less so, but a lot of us are institutionalized and we don't even know it. We're like Shawshank Redemption. You remember that? Yeah. We've been in these walls so long of routine work. Can't survive on the outside. Yeah. Can't survive on the outside. They have no vision of what the outside could even be. Right. So the first step is just freeing your mind before you free your body of what possibilities might be there. So that's a lot of what financial planning, in my mind, should be about. Yeah. And I can see you having that conversation. You mentioned the word sacrifice earlier and balance, saying to someone in that situation, well... You know, if you just cut back on a couple things here or there, you could retire today. Like, why don't you go put in your notice tomorrow and then be like, no, 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 hang on. And then moving the goalposts per se, because they almost need that goal in front of them and they don't know what they would actually do if they did stop. Working. Well, like Brooks in the movie. Yeah. Brooks was the sad character, the guy who, you know, played with birds and he got released forcibly so. Right. Ended up committing suicide. Went to the grocery store, worked at the grocery store, and then he, he was unfulfilled. And yeah, he ended up committing suicide. Extreme. Yeah, it's an extreme version. That, but there's different ways of doing that in not having purpose and drinking too much, shopping too much, whatever. Yeah, right. It doesn't matter how old you are. The conversations are the same. It's just about the intentionality and how do you do it. And it has nothing to do with investments. Right. Has more to do with what do you want your lifestyle to look like at different stages? How do you plan for that financially? Do you need to invest? Do you need to put money away in certain areas? And then you can look at a number. But first, you got to think about what your priorities are and where you want to be. Exactly. And I think you know, you and I, we have a lot of common friends. And they're not institutionalized. No, far from it. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that they have the right path and everybody else doesn't. Yep. That's not the point. The idea is... If you're going to live a life, it's okay to be in a corporation. My wife always worked in a corporation, but it was by choice, by intentional choice, right. rather than some false sense of security, because there is no security, even in some 
that kind of cage. Totally. Yeah. That's funny. I met you through our mutual friend, Vincent Puglese, who's probably the least institutionalized person I know. So uh, we do have a lot of friends who are not, definitely not of that mindset. Um, and I think when you get into more of an entrepreneurial mindset and doing things like we're doing, you think, well, I'm having fun. I'm probably always going to want to do something like this. And I can always find ways to make money. So why do I need to save for a certain number to hit when I turn 60 and a half and then retire at that age when I'll probably keep working? So maybe. I need less, which reminds me of a decision I was trying to make with regards to retirement funds I've saved. And do I even use those now to invest in my business versus saving them for later? There's some validity to that. That can also become a crutch and can really lead down bad places. And I want to make sure, you know, because a lot of what I get is, yeah, entrepreneurs, they get it. But if you work at a corporation, it doesn't mean you can't have the same kind of mindset. Right. Because you're basically an entrepreneur that are selling your services. And there are still things you can do that, you know, you may not have the freedom to drive around everywhere like Vinnie Pugs does, <laughs> but there are still ways to organize your life and set yourself up incrementally. Well, yeah, if you're working for a big company, you're, you're still trading value, right? You have the services you're doing for money. You're still acquiring experience and skills. And the classic example is people quote retire and then they go into consulting using the skills they had acquired from working for the big company for a long time. Yeah. And the, the phrase I use is I call it pre-tirement. And we do a lot of, of counseling and, and guiding to, okay, what can you do now to set yourself up to have work that gives you more freedom? And sometimes that can involve consulting or board work. Sometimes it involves slowly, it's like leading a donkey, slowly leading your superiors to see about flex time and working from home and remote working and setting yourself up. And, and that involves investing in your network and nurturing that network so you have enough credibility to have those conversations. It involves some strategy. It involves some developing some skills. All of these things we can be really intentional about even if we're in a company. You said about investing your network. You know, Many people say uh, the famous quote, your network is your net worth. And uh, that could be really true. That network could pay you big dividends later on if you go to set up that consulting business or whatever it is after you retire. So this is good food for thought. And I think for a lot of people to think about, um, I want to shift gears and talk about how you've built what you're doing now. Because I think a lot of people, at least that I associate with and that might be listening to this podcast, think about how do I become more of an authority or expert or build a personal brand? Or maybe nobody listening to this cares about that, but I do. I'm constantly, <laughs> study, I'm constantly studying that and, and you know, looking at what other people are doing and saying, what can I learn from that? And this is something where I feel like you've been you know, pretty successful. So how did you get into you know, starting the podcast, building the following, the community, the things you've done. And, you know, what are some of the things you've done that you feel like have been pretty successful in that area? Well, that's a lot. Let's think. So the podcast has been going for about five and a half years now, a little over five years. All I do is work with clients over 50 thinking about this life transition. So that's what I do in my day job. And I wanted to achieve some things when I started the podcast. One is, is it was a creative outlet for me. I think out loud. So it was a medium that 
served me. I, I'm not a blogger because I think out loud. And I'm dealing with the same problems over and over. So I use the podcast as, hey, I think I have something to say. And I want to explore finding my voice. And I want to hone my craft as an advisor. So why don't I start a show where I'm noodling on the issues that I'm dealing with in my practice with people? Because if they're dealing with them, other people are going to deal with them. Yep. And by talking about them, if you've ever taught, I've taught it, you know, taught university courses and certain things. And if you teach something, you have to be very organized in your thinking and you have to know what you're teaching. So it's a good exercise that way. So for me, it was a nice virtuous circle of honing my skills and doing it outward. And it was just iterative from there. I mean, I had ideas of, hey, you know, I understood podcasting. I consumed podcasts and followed people. And it was really a renaissance of sort of a midlife crisis. It's, you know, rather than a sports car, I started a podcast. And it's changed my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And five years ago, I've been listening to podcasts for probably 10 years. They've definitely been around for a while, but it's probably like exploded in the last three to four. So five years ago, you're still probably a little bit ahead of the curve. And even we both might be early in the whole game of podcasting. Who knows? Oh, I think I saw a stat the other day. There's like 700,000 podcasts available. Right. Not that many. <laughs> Not that many, but you know, and I'm in the advisory world, which is regulated. Yeah. How does that work? Do you have to be careful about the things that you talk about? Well, I'm independent, so I don't work for a major firm. You know, so that's like going to public school. They have very rigid rules and you can only do certain things. And you do have to be careful, for sure. I focus more on wisdom than knowledge. I mean, there's a lot of knowledge in there, but I focus more on wisdom and how to think about all of these issues. And the one thing I like about podcasting in terms of... I guess it's everything, but podcasting especially is it's hard. <laughs> it takes a lot of time. Yep. It's a lot of preparation, recording, editing, getting it out there, rinse and repeat over and over again. I'm on like episode 270 wow. of a weekly show and I've never missed a week. That's amazing. And so... A lot of it is I never miss a week. I'm always there and that's consistency and that's how you build audience and build community. Yeah. And the connections that I've had. And so fast forward, I call you know, I always use the analogy of building an orchard, right? And in my business as a financial advisor from the pure business perspective, everybody wants everybody is hunters and killers. We got a prospect, we got to grow clients, we need business. We do a seminar, we get so many meetings, we close so many deals, right? Yep. I'm a, I'm a farmer. And I build an orchard, which means you put in years of struggle and sweat with no harvest. And so in this area, I'm fine with that because I was in a place in business where I wasn't trying to leave my day job. My income was fine. My life was fine. So I like, wow, I have this period of time where I have some wisdom. I think I have something to say. I'm not trying to grow my business necessarily. And I want to express myself. So I got time. So I didn't pay attention to stats. I didn't try crazy tactics for the most part. I just showed up every week and tried to make it more about who I was talking with than about what I had to say. And so far, it's worked. Focusing on providing value, not worrying too much about the numbers, 
using your time wisely. You've already, and, and the other thing you mentioned that is a good tip off to anyone that thinking about starting a podcast is you like to think out loud. You, you and I have that in common. I don't really like the idea of sitting down and writing, but I, I love talking. And um, <clears throat> you find yourself answering similar questions over and over. So if some, a lot of people are asking you similar questions, they're probably 10 or 100 or 1,000 X people who have a, the same question in their head and might want to hear that answer. And so you're able to provide value by giving that to them. And I think it doesn't matter what field you're in. Like I'm going to use my field as an example, but it doesn't matter what field you're in. So like in my, my field, finance, retirement planning, when I listen to another show on finance, or even most advisors, what I hear is, you know, you can do a show on what a Roth IRA is, you know, the knowledge technical part, but there's a zillion of that. Right. Right. That's knowledge. And I always say, you can Google knowledge. You can't Google wisdom. And we want to live in the place of wisdom. So whatever the technical stuff in, in your particular field is, you can go through that technical stuff. But what really connects with people is your view on that particular thing. Okay, Roth IRAs. Yeah, we can talk about what they are. But we can talk about some of the lessons that have been learned of you know missteps or hacks or achievements that have happened, how people have used them to achieve a life result that they actually care about. That is something that's going to resonate more and something that's not repeatable by the next person that's going to do an article on that's SEO optimized on Roth IRAs. Right. Totally. It's your personal brand. It's your point of view. It's your personality. It's one of what's really going to connect people to you. And what's interesting about that, Andy, is over time, it's you collect people like you. You're collecting me? I collected you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, collect them all. Yeah, because it's a natural filter. When I started the Rock Retirement Club, which is an educational club, I did a survey from the survey. I said, like, I got to talk to some of these people. And I had like 70 conversations within two days mm. of that were interested in something like this. And I got my questions answered. But what I really, what really blew me away was, wow, yeah, they're all in the same season of life. They're all intentional. They're all pretty smart. And they're all really, really nice. And I'm like, if I had all these people together, they would love each other. And I think a podcast is great for that. And even as, I, as clients come to me from the show is the people that think I'm an idiot, they stop listening. And I never have to talk to him. And that's fine with me and for them. Right. So did you, you started... I was going to ask you, what has come from the podcast? So did you start a community from that? So the way the podcast has changed my life is it, it blew up my partnership in business, which is in a good way, is my partners had no interest in going on this journey. So we were able to navigate that and still be friends. Um, my business is location independent with clients in 26 different states. All of my meetings are virtual. It has you know, grown to the point where I'm almost not accepting clients. And uh, we started an educational community for people that want to do it on their own, but want education and inspiration and things to empower them. And I've met amazing people like you, right? That was a layup, by the way. That was a great plug. I appreciate that. <laughs> so good. That's the whole reason we did this. But it's true. And no matter what business or industry you're in, I tell people all the time, I've been podcasting for about two years now. And the number of great conversations I've had, people I've met, my network has grown so much. 
Uh, I almost don't care if people listen sometimes. I want to create a valuable show, but it's just all the great conversations I've had and the things that have come from it has been great, just like this. I remember early on, the key is when you're doing a lot of things like this, if you're going to start a podcast, start a blog, how do you design it? So if it's, if it's an utter failure, it's a win. Yep. Right? So for me, with the podcast, it was, okay, at the end of this, how will this be a win if there, nobody's really listening? And for me, it was, it's going to hone my skills in what I'm doing, which is going to help me serve clients better. Yeah. You're practicing talking about the things that your clients care about. Yeah. And I am light years better advisor now as a result of the podcast. Yeah. And I can tell you from a business perspective, you know, when I, um, I left my corporate consulting job and went out on my own about a year and a half ago, and I started my other podcast, The Talent Development Hot Seat, which by the way, that idea came to me when uh, the same day or day after I met you at Podcast Movement in Anaheim two years ago. And I'm like, I'll start a podcast to meet with my ideal clients and learn what they're struggling with, what they're working on. And I did that. And since then, I've done over 75 interviews. I have learned so much about everything that's going on in the industry. I've built the network. Um, I have so many great connections. And there's so many amazing things coming out of it. I'm organizing my first conference later this year. And it's all because I started that podcast and started connecting with people. And now a subject that I felt like I was mildly intelligent on and interested in, I'm becoming more of an authority in. And it's because I got to interview all these other people who were doing great things. And now I was able to acquire their knowledge. So heck yeah, I don't know how it could be a failure, but no matter what happens, I've gotten so much out of it. It's been amazing. So and these are sort of... And I think these stories are... I don't want to call them the end result because it's nowhere near over. Definitely not. But it's intimidating... Like right now, there are, you know, I don't know how many retirement podcasts now. Yeah. Well, everybody's already talked about that or everybody's done that. It's going to take so long to catch up. It's not about catching up. Right. I mean, it's a personal journey in a lot of ways. And the fact that if you're in a, if you're in a space or an industry that you want to talk about where there's a lot of other people talking about it already, that's just affirmation that people want that. Yes. And ultimately, you know, it's that old Seth Godin book, Tribes. People want to find people like them. And you're going to be able to speak to someone, whether it's in a blog or YouTube or a podcast or a seminar. You're going to be able to speak to people and they're going to hear you in a way that they won't hear it from anybody else. It's so true. It's so true. And it's all about the personality and your message speaking to some people and it won't resonate with others. But I, I agree you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about starting a podcast or a YouTube channel and you're thinking, oh, there's already people doing it, that's just validation. I learned that from when I started out in this and I went through John Lee Dumas's free podcast course and he talked about that. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. And then um, people want to hear. So we also mentioned Vincent Puglesi. I'm part of his tribe. And I got out of debt because of him, not because of Dave Ramsey, who I had listened to before. And Frankly, I couldn't really stand them. It's a great point. Right? But when I heard the message from someone that did resonate with me, then I took action. And I wanted to be part of his tribe. So speaking of that, if anybody is listening and wants to be part of your tribe, and wants to learn more about retirement, connect with you, follow you, where's the best place for them to go? Just check out the Retirement Answer Man podcast or rogerwhitney.com. It's the podcast where we noodle on this every week. 
Awesome. All right. Retirement Answer Man podcast, rogerwhitney.com. We'll put links to both of those things in the show notes. Roger, thank you so much for coming on and spending time with me on the podcast here. This has been so much fun and uh, valuable for me. I hope it has been for our listeners. So thanks again for coming on. You bet, buddy. Be well. All right. Take care. 